Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. When you think of the current crop of kids, the word generous, selfless, and empathetic probably don't really spring to mind. But according to Todd Patkin, youngsters may not be as selfish as we think. They just need us, their parents and grandparents, to guide them toward a more giving, orientated path. Well, joining us today is author and philanthropist Todd Patkin to gain his insight on the importance of explaining philanthropy to our kids and grandkids. Welcome, Todd. Thanks, guys. I really am excited to be with you. You know, Todd, I think it'd be great for our listeners to understand a little bit of your past first before we talk about really what your passion and mission is today. As an author and philanthropist, what kind of brought you to this point in your life? And tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, Tony, I was brought up in Needham, Massachusetts, and like so many Americans, for whatever reason, I just felt like I always had to be perfect. I needed to get straight A's. And I was very, very successful in business. And then the best thing happened to me. I actually had a complete nervous breakdown, which became a breakthrough for me. And I realized that all I had been doing was beating myself up for the one or two mistakes I made in a week. And while I had been doing so many other things right, I looked around. I had a beautiful wife, a wonderful son. My company was soaring. And for one day during my breakdown, I actually wanted to take my own life. So for me, it was a wonderful breakthrough. And now I go around the country and I teach people why I believe so many of us are more unhappy and stressed out than we should be in this, the greatest country in the world today. Would you like my theory on why? I think that would be appropriate at this point. You set that up really well, Todd, so no doubt. Don't leave us hanging. (laughs) All right. Well, anyway, I believe that we've become very misguided by the American success story. My grandpa, Ruby Patkin, and certainly probably your grandparents came here from overseas, and they were just so excited that they could become someone. But most of them came with very little education. They didn't speak English. They certainly had no money. So then they had to work very, very hard. And they had to constantly improve, look at what they could do better in order to move up the ladder of success. And I think if you asked your grandpa, why is he working so hard and just looking at what he does wrong to improve, he'd say, first, I've got to feed my growing family. And second, I really want my grandkids and their kids to be happy in America. But what our grandparents didn't realize and what we don't realize is our kids will always become like us. So my dad, honestly, was a tremendous businessman. My grandpa built one of the larger car dealerships in Boston. My dad took the car dealership and went with auto parts. We had a huge company, but my dad was like my grandpa. He was a workaholic, and he didn't celebrate his successes, but boy, did he get down on any of his failures. And I grew up the same way. So in my mind, just like with computers, every generation, we're getting better and better at IT, but we're also getting better and better at just looking at everything we do wrong. It's making us very successful and very neurotic and mentally ill, and that's why you see so many people stressed out of their minds and so many people so depressed. So that's why it's so great when you get to a breaking point, because you see it so clearly how insane many of us are on this treadmill where we just go to work all the time. And at 70 or 80, we wake up and say, boy, we screwed up our lives. It's too late. We didn't spend the time we should have with our kids. We didn't have the friendships we should have. And for me, I realized it was really about learning to love myself simply for who I was. Now I can just take a day and be with my son. I don't have to always achieve, achieve, achieve in order to feel good enough to have a good night's sleep at night. Hey, share with us, what was the trigger that made that breaking point happen for you? 
Well, I had become addicted to exercise. That's how I dealt with all the stress and anxiety I had at Tufts University. And when I joined the family business, I knew nothing about auto parts. And all of a sudden, the gentleman who ran the whole company got a heart attack and left. And my dad just handed the keys to me. And the stress was just crazy. I went to the gym and worked through it. I became a motivational speaker. I was in auto parts, as I said. Most of the people who worked for me were young men or women, so I would jump off tables to try to make it exciting. They were coming from far away and staying overnight, and I wanted them to look forward to it. And one day, we decided to have the company meeting in our warehouse on a cement floor so that afterwards all of the store managers could meet with the department managers, and I fractured both my feet could no longer work out. My wife and I, who suffered from a lot of infertility, finally got pregnant, lost a pregnancy. And I truly believe if I hadn't fractured my feet, I would have worked through it. But God bless God, because <laughs> I couldn't. And that caused me to have the breakdown, which I'm so grateful for. If I hadn't, I'd still be like I was and like so many Americans are, which is because I didn't love myself. I had to just succeed, 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 just like a computer with a program. If you don't succeed, you can't sleep at night. I couldn't do anything unless I was constantly in action. Man, it's really appreciated that you kind of provide us that background first because sometimes you really need to know what that triggering event or inspire. And I think as listeners hear this, they can probably clearly relate because, as you said, there are so many people searching for happiness today. And that really goes back to your book, if I can touch on that for a minute. Finding happiness is what you've said already kind of the theme of the book or dig a little deeper on what the message is Okay, well finding happiness if you go to amazon.com there's eight and I want to make sure if you decide you like the book you get the right ones It's finding happiness one man's quest to beat depression and anxiety and finally let the sun shine in I also want to plug my website because my website other than the book everything's free and my entire 12-week program I have a 12-week program to take anyone from depression unhappiness and anxiety to just the most wonderful life and you'll see me on video week one we talk about exercise week two about listening to motivational tapes week three being easier to on yourself so please check out the website again finding happiness the book.com the first 310 pages is my life story it's a fascinating life to be honest with you when i was young i was stressed out of my mind bullied picked on but i still persevered in my later life because i became successful in a philanthropist i had relations with many many famous people through it all, I realized that that's not what life's about. When I was younger, it was my ego. So being with Steven Tyler or the Clintons or something like that was a big deal to me. The latter part is my 12 weeks to living a happier life. The other thing in the book is I've had unique experiences that have made me 100% certain that there is a God. So anyone who's looking for spirituality, things have happened to me in my life, which you'll read about that are so inexplicable, there's definitely a God. Todd, if you don't mind, we're going to take a short break at this point. I'd like to go a little bit deeper on the philanthropy side now because clearly your life has directed you now towards this passion and you definitely have some strong feelings about that. And we want to talk about how you can include philanthropy in your life at every level because naturally our listeners differ at different levels of wealth and this really can be at any level of life and how we can kind of raise our kids also to maintain that passion of philanthropy. So please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security 
Securities and Investment Advisory Services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and Registered Investment Advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. I'm Leslie Bibb. Everything changed the day my mother received the awful call that there had been an accident and my father hadn't survived. Suddenly, she was faced with having to raise four girls on her own. But my mom's burden was lessened by my dad's thoughtfulness. His life insurance kept her family together and enabled us to carry on. My father loved us enough to expect the unexpected. Learn more at lifehappens.org, a public service message from the nonprofit Life Foundation. Welcome back as we continue to talk with Todd Patkin, author and philanthropist. And thanks so much before the break for sharing your story as far as what led you to the passion and energy that you clearly have today. So let's talk a little bit more about your current passion of philanthropy and share with us some ways that we can really raise our kids to maintain that passion. Well, let me start out by saying that like anything, you need to educate yourself. If you are a business owner and you're looking to do charity work, especially if all of a sudden you're making money or if you have an event where you sell your company like I did, be very careful. I have a real big heart and I made a lot of mistakes. And They teach you that the reason you're successful in business is because you focus everything for 20, 30 years on one thing so you get to know it well. I knew auto parts. We did great. And then all of a sudden, here I was 41 years old and retired. And people came to me and wanted me to invest in IT companies and sports memorabilia and tickets. And I did all that and, you know, lost all that money and a lot of charities. I want to make sure that if you're going to do charities, make sure that the percentage that's actually going to the needy as opposed to all of the people working there or expenses. So look into all the charities. You don't have to give a million dollars, you know, it can mean just as much to give $500, but to be involved. I believe that the only reason God gives us more money than we need is to give it to people who are less fortunate than us. And I can say that I feel so wonderful. My life's so different. Many people say, well, you know, why don't you just give it away when you die? I've had the most amazing experiences by making a difference in people's lives. So I try to give that to my son who's 17. I think that when you give to other people, one of the reasons it's so powerful is today we tend to judge ourselves against others and always feel like we could have more. But when you're giving money to the blind, or maybe when you read to a blind person, even though you just lost your job and you think everything's awful, you got divorced, at least you have your eyes, at least you can see. So it really lets you know that in general you have so much. And when you're a giver, you just say, boy, I'm a good person. I give. Also, you realize when you can give some money that you're not in as rough shape as you might think. With your kids, it's very important to start young. Once your kids leave you, there's been studies done, they go off to college. Unless they firmly believe in philanthropy, they probably won't continue it. So you want to have your kids just kind of listen into conversations that you set up around them with you and your wife talking about how great it was to go to that charity event. There are wonderful books today about giving. Even for two- and three-year-olds, there are books about empathy, kids being left out kids sharing, and that's what it's really about when they're young. And then when they get a little older, they can do a lemonade stand. Uh, eventually, you want to get into events with the family, where the whole family does different charity things together so that you get great joy from it. But the most important things with kids is to set the goal up. So you want to set a goal that the first time you have your son or daughter involved in anything you want them to be involved with, that they love it. So it's easier for me to give you an analogy in terms of exercise. Let's say that you want your son or daughter to start to hike because hiking has been everything to you. Every Saturday you go on a three 
hour hike, and that's your release from the week, and you want your son or daughter to start hiking with you, the most important thing you can do the very first day when they're eight or nine is to simply have the goal that they're going to enjoy it. So Saturday, you take them to the mountain, and you know after three minutes they're going to want to go home, and you have to be okay with that. You'll take them home, your wife knows she's waiting for you or your husband, and then you go back and do your three-hour hike. If you're dumb, you're going to bring them, insist that they stay with you because you need to get that release for three hours and they'll never hike again. It's the same thing with charity. Maybe they love going to the zoo. And so you take them to the zoo, and as you're leaving, you leave a little bit of a gift for abandoned dogs or something, and you say, isn't that nice? We were just with the animals. So it's very important how you set it up. I think that's great advice. It just makes me think of how I practice things at home, and I've pieced this together of many guests that we've had over the years, a simple concept that I employ, and it's called earn tax, share, save, spend. So as I try to teach my kids about economy and money and finances, as a financial advisor naturally, and I've got pretty young kids, we start with basically if they do a chore and they earn some dollars, we have to start with earnings, of course, and that's gross earnings. And then we have tax. We have to deal with how we support the country and all those things. And so we generally lop off a little bit. Now, I'm currently their government, so that comes back to mom and dad, but they have to understand the tax system. Then, of course, we start with share. And share means let's talk about now that we have a percentage after tax, let's deal first with before we talk about saving and spending, let's talk about sharing. And they're both in a parochial school at this point, so that's kind of their focus, the church and things like that. So we're trying to build these blocks at a very early age because, as you said, and I think even you mentioned in, in your book and writings that it's never too early to start, right? Oh, no. Boy, they say that little kids in their mom's stomach. I mean, here's the voices of the parents. I know my wife was saying she was at a friend's, and the friend says that the three-year-old is already doing the iPad and fooling around with the iPad. So, no, it's never too early to start. A couple other points I think are important is that different kids, and I only have one child, but if you have more, I'm sure that I've certainly been told that all kids are different. So you may have one kid who absolutely loves animals and one kid who's scared to death of them. So you don't want to say, well, our family is going to care for lost dogs because one will be afraid to go there. So you really want to play to the kid's strength. What turns them on? Let them enjoy it. And then the other real secret in life, I think, is random acts of kindness. I mean, I think people get caught up a little bit too much in charity. I know that in my faith, my Jewish faith, I'm reformed, which means I really don't practice much. But I have friends who are rabbis, very, very religious, and they say, Todd, you know what? You are the most religious person we know. You don't do all of the stuff. You're not kosher. You don't dove, and that's when you kind of bend over and go a little nutty. But I open doors for people. I smile at people. I help people put their little groceries in the car. And in Judaism, we say that's helping people. That's what we're supposed to do. So I think it's so important that you as a parent, if you want your child to be a good person, kids will always learn from you. So I, even more than charity, just want to encourage you every day to try to put a smile on other people's faces. Everybody's walking around with a big bag. You can't see it on their shoulders. It's called a burden bag. Maybe, God forbid, their child is sick or they just lost their job. And if you just smile at them, it might just lighten them up. Just do random acts of kindness. Let your kids know that it's just such a joy to help other people, and you actually get the biggest gift. You feel so great when you bring a friend, you know, they're sick at home, and you bring them their favorite donut because it's on the way home. One thing as being a financial planner, Todd, I just want to share what we've done and maybe inspire others to consider this as well, and that is what legacy are you leaving behind? My wife and I bought a substantial insurance policy, and we have it in a family-type foundation structure where every year our kids are going to get together and decide what worthwhile causes they're going to help support. And the idea is when we're not there to remind them of these things, 
they're going to have this responsibility every year to get together and make donations so that it will be sustaining over generations instead of just having it. I see all too often in families where they pass money along to the next generation and the statistics of how much of that stays just to one generation, much less two generations, how many families are ill-prepared to keep the legacy going, whether it's a legacy of giving or a financial legacy or whatever it might be. And I know charity is very important for Tony and I, and that's why it's so important to have another perspective of why people need to be thinking about giving back. I know a lot of charities right now with the economic circumstances are all suffering right now because people are afraid to give. But I think you harvest a lot more than you ever give. It seems like you can never outgive the rewards you get when your heart's in the right place. I agree with that. Jim, if you don't mind, I want to just caution people with something you said. And it's just my opinion. And again, I look at it as a son. I know that siblings oftentimes in America don't always get along. And so, for example, my dad has a beautiful home, and he wanted to leave it to the three of us on the beach. But he's got plenty of money, so he could easily leave the home to one kid, and whatever the value is, the other two kids would get money. And I told him he'd be crazy not to do it that way, because otherwise I think it's going to cause friction. And I would actually encourage you to consider letting each family, if you have two sons and a daughter, you each get a third. I think you think what you're doing is setting it up so that they'll all come together and it'll be nice. But I'm not convinced that they won't each have the things they want it to go to and it'll actually cause division within the family. So I understand why you're doing it. Charity's great. I love it. Myself, if I had three kids, because I know the friction that I've had with my brother and sister and see it with so many others, my preference would be maybe take half of it and give a third to each of them. They have to do it charitably. And then half of it, maybe they have to come together and work with. That's great advice. And I know in working with families, you always have to consider those family dynamics. I will share in my family with my siblings, we get along great. So it's a unique circumstance. And I've got four siblings. I know in our family right now with our kids, they have their moments, but they're young adults right now at college age. And what I've built into that program is they can get together and discuss it. But ultimately, if they can't agree, they each give a third away. The hope is there, you know, because we see so many families split apart. The thing that I thought about is, you know what, maybe if they're getting together to give something away, and if they're not speaking together at that point, maybe it brings them back together and they can heal those wounds. So my hope is, is to keep the family strong, even through difficult times. And when you have a spirit of giving, it makes it a little bit more difficult to have petty differences. On the head. I think yours is the best idea of all. Hopefully, if they're getting along, of course, they're going to come together and do it together. But you've got that out so that they're not going to fight. If they're not getting along, they're simply going to say, look, let's just, for, for now, we're not getting along that well. We'll just do a third, a third, a third. And that's really the whole key. My family had a business that was earning about 100 grand a year, and everyone got along. When it started earning millions, we had a huge fight. It was almost in the papers. My dad's brothers never spoke to him again. Unfortunately, they convinced his own father never to speak to him again, and he went to his grave. In the last 10 years, my dad didn't speak to his own dad, who had been his best friend. So money really corrupts, and it really causes lots and lots of problems within families. At least that's what I have seen. I'd go a step further. I'd say the love of money corrupts. 
because money is such a powerful tool when you see what it can do for worthwhile causes. What I look at with all this is the importance of continual communication involving people together. It is sad. I've seen it where people, where families don't even speak to each other and they don't even remember why because of something that happened in the estate plan. It was maybe a family heirloom. and. So what we look at is the importance as you're thinking about this and giving back, you really do have to take some time to think about it. And I think something that you shared with us early in the conversation is how important it is to get the kids communicating, enjoying, and making it their own versus just dictating, here's what you're going to do. I think that's what happens. And you talked about the rat race of being a successful business person. You sometimes forget about those that are most important to you because you're chasing that success that we forget to give back. The greatest gift in the world that you can get if you're cured is cancer or another disease if you're cured. Because even though it's going to be an awful six months, you're going to realize what matters in life. They interviewed all of the POWs from the Vietnam War 30 years after the Vietnam War, and they were shocked that there wasn't a single POW that said he would trade back even an hour of the time that he was tortured and imprisoned. And they said, what are you talking about? You were 20 years old. Until you were 25, every day you ate garbage. They beat you up. They tortured you. And they said, yes, but now I'm 50. You don't understand. Every day of my life, ever since I got out, I look at every bumblebee and every flower. I spend all the precious time with my wife and kids. And most of my friends just speed around and they're miserable and they're going through life. They're going to wake up at 90 and wish they had lived differently. That's truly learning from life's lessons. And sometimes they're hard knocks. And it's a matter of what you do with it and how you process it. I think it was a great conversation. I'd like to be sure that we can visit with you again. Anytime. Love to be with you, Jim and Tony. Again, I had a ball. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth Advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful week.